can remember as a youth pastor, one of my favorite things to do is to take students on missions trips because there was lots of spiritual formation that happened there. The very first time we did this, my wife Jenny and I took eight high school students to Montreal, which is one of the least reached cities in Canada. We participated in a program called SOAR, which was put on by our denominational mission agency, MB Mission at the time, now Multiply. And uh, we gathered with youth groups from across Canada and some from the United States, even one from France. And there was uh, teaching and discipleship training every day. And then we were sent out into the city to, uh, to do outreach. And on a couple of those days, our instructions were very simple. Go tell people about Jesus. And so one time we were given uh, the, the New Testament book of John to go hand out to people. And other times we had some, some other tools that they gave us. But the instructions were go into a park and strike up conversations with people about Jesus. Now, remember, these are high school students. Uh, I think if we gathered a group of adults uh, uh, from our church, that that if we went out into the park and the instructions were just to talk to people about Jesus, many of us would feel some uncertainty about that, perhaps some fear about that. It's It's a daunting thing. It's not something that a lot of us do every day. And so these high school students were thrust out into the, the mission field, so to speak. And I'll never forget one evening, we had, we had been out in the park all day, and one of our students was sitting there, and she said to the group with wide eyes and with incredulity in her voice, she looked at us and she said, we prayed this morning that God would give us courage and God would help us to have good conversations with people. And she said, God actually answered our prayers. <laughs> God actually answered our prayer. She'd had a a great conversation with someone in the park. She shared about her faith. She shared about Christ. Uh, I don't remember this person making a confession of faith, but at the end of the day, she said, God actually answered our prayer. I wonder if you've ever had a moment like that where you've said, wow, God actually answered my prayer. It seemed almost too big of a challenge, too large of an obstacle. I wasn't actually sure if God was going to come through, but God actually answered my prayer. We're going to read a story in the book of Mark today in which a group of people are sent out by Jesus on the mission field. And when they return, they told about all of the wonderful things that had happened. Now, Mark doesn't say they sat there and said, God actually answered our prayers. But you can imagine that that might be something that they would say after the the things that they accomplished because of the power of God at work in them. Now, that's the second story we're going to read today in Mark chapter 6. The first one is actually a story about people who rejected Jesus completely, had no faith in him, and therefore did not see these kinds of amazing things happen in their lives. It leads us to our main point today, which is simply this. You can be all in or you can be all out, but you can't be all in the middle. You can't be all in the middle, which is an odd thing to say. It's not really an English phrase to be all in the middle, but there's no ground to stand in between being all in and all out when it comes to faith in Christ. Now, we've been studying through the book of Mark. This is the last week we'll, we'll do this. We'll take a break through the Christmas uh, season here, and then we'll come back to, to Mark later on. But uh, in Mark chapter 6, we read uh, th- these two stories. Now, we remember because we- we've seen these two themes come up over and over again. There's two themes that Mark brings up constantly throughout his book. Uh, if you remember what they are, say them to your screen right now. Uh, you might remember, we- we've talked about these. The first one is the identity of Jesus. Who is this guy? And the second one is discipleship. What does it mean to follow him? And so these two themes come out really strong in these two short stories that Mark tells. So here we go, Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked. 
What's this wisdom that's been given to him? What are these remarkable miracles that he's performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village. Calling the twelve to him, he began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. So you can be all in or you can be all out, but you can't be all in the middle. Let's look at the the people first who were all out. Now we know from the scriptures, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but grew up in Nazareth. And so he goes back to this little town of Nazareth Uh, and starts to teach in the synagogue. And these are people who knew him, people who had watched him grow up. And as he taught, there's a a reaction of amazement among the people. This is a common reaction throughout Mark. People hear Jesus teach, and they're amazed at the things that he teaches and the authority with which he teaches. So the people are amazed, but then they start to ask some questions about the source of this teaching. They start to say, "Wait, wait a minute, isn't this the carpenter? They had seen him grow up. They had seen him take on this profession of of carpentry. They knew he was a handyman. Uh, And and this was a a respected uh, occupation, but it wasn't expected that carpenters would have the time to study wisdom and to have the knowledge that Jesus was proclaiming. And, And isn't his family standing right next to us? Don't we know his mom and his brothers and sisters? We know this guy. We watched him grow up. We remember when he was born and when he was a toddler and and, and then as he grew up through childhood and his teenage years, we know who this guy is, and there's nothing special about him. All of a sudden, at 30, he starts his ministry and starts doing these amazing things, which truly were amazing, but they think, well, this, this can't really be coming from this guy. Who does this guy think that he is? There's that saying that familiarity breeds contempt. I'm not sure that's always true. I think focusing on the wrong things breeds contempt. And that's exactly what they do here. They, they focus on what they thought they knew about him instead of what was actually true about him. Now, remember, his family had tried to dissuade him from his mission already. In Mark chapter 3, they thought he was losing his mind, and they tried to take him out of a, a situation where he was teaching and healing. These people in Nazareth don't go so far as the religious leaders in Mark chapter 3 who called Jesus Satan, but they do decide that he's not actually that special. And actually, they went a little further and were offended at him because of these things. So, they're asking questions about Jesus. If you're a skeptic watching today, if you're exploring Christ, you might be asking some of these same questions. Who is this guy? And, and why does he teach the way that he does? And, and was he just a man or, or was he God like he claimed to be? If he was just a man, we can just, you know, say, well, he was a good teacher and that was nice. We should think about the things that he said, but we don't really need to make any changes. But if he's actually God, then we do need to make some changes to align ourselves with the things that he says. 
The people in Nazareth aren't willing to do this. I think there's a lot of Christians actually as well who are so familiar with Jesus that they never step out in faith because of the power that Jesus has and the invitation Jesus offers. Did you ever see that, that song? It's on YouTube. You should look it up. It's really hilarious. It's called Jesus is a Friend of Mine. It came out in 1981. Uh, seriously, look it up after we're done here. It's entertaining. But it, it repeats this line, Jesus is a friend of mine. Jesus is a friend of mine. And, and, and people who sometimes live with this kind of buddy-buddy relationship with Jesus, where Jesus is my pal, uh, Jesus is someone that I'm just comfortable with, and I'm glad that I know him, and I'm glad that I believe in him, and I'm going to go to heaven one day, but he doesn't really change my life that much. I like him, and he likes me, but I don't really step out in faith very often. I don't really respond to the invitation that he gives me to go all in. Now, certainly, the scriptures do describe Jesus as a friend of ours, so that is a reality that we can claim. But some people get, I think, too familiar with Jesus, too comfortable It's just Jesus and me, and it doesn't ever move to a life of discipleship, a life of passion, a life of purpose. So the people in Nazareth took offense at Jesus, and the end of the story is really quite amazing. Jesus is now the one amazed. They were the ones amazed at his teaching. Now Jesus is the one that's amazed, but not for a good reason. He's amazed at their lack of faith. And then there's this stunning admission at the end of the story that Jesus could not do miracles there except for a few people that he healed. Now, two, at least two possible explanations for that. One is the people didn't have enough faith to ask for anything, so he didn't do anything because he wasn't being asked. But Jesus didn't always wait for people to ask. I think the, the more likely explanation is that their lack of faith disqualified them from experiencing the miracles that they could have experienced had they exercised faith. Mark Strauss writes, when faith is the prerequisite for spiritual blessings, there can be no miracles without it. The people had no faith and didn't experience the power of God. Makes me wonder, what miracles are you not seeing because you're not having faith in who Jesus really is? Now, to be clear, many of you have great levels of faith and you've been asking and persevering in prayer and, and expecting the miracle and it hasn't come yet. I'm not telling you that you don't have enough faith because you haven't seen the miracle yet. God works in his own timing. But what are the things in your life that you've stopped asking about? That you've said, that's too big, that's too painful, uh, I can't handle that and I'm not sure God can either. What are those things in your life? where God might want to do a miracle, but there isn't faith to ask for that miracle to occur. So you can be all out, but you can also be all in. That's the second half of these two stories. Jesus calls the 12 to him. Remember in in Mark chapter 3, Jesus calls the 12 and gives them two purposes. The first is to be with him, and the second is to send them out. So here he's sending them out. He sends them out two by two. He gives them some odd instructions. And uh, instead of going through the the details of each instruction, we'll we'll take them as a package and say the purpose of these instructions is that the disciples would learn to depend completely on God. That's what being all in means. Being all in means completely depending on God. They weren't supposed to take their credit card. They weren't supposed to take a suitcase. They weren't supposed to take any kind of resources with them, just what they had on them. That's all. They weren't relying on themselves. They were relying on God to provide in every place 
that they went. And so Jesus gives them authority over evil spirits and he sends them out. We, we know that they did preaching. They called people to repentance. They healed the sick. And they report back in verse 30 of chapter 6, the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. There were some amazing results that happened that they were eager to tell Jesus about. You know, God actually answered my prayer. I was out on mission. I was all, it was myself and God. And look at the things that were accomplished. Amazing results. And even more amazing is, is the people that Jesus uses here. These disciples are often uh, shown in the book of Mark to be, um, well, not getting it. They're often poor examples of what it means to follow Jesus. They're slow to understand. They're quick to fear. They lack faith. Uh, they, they question Jesus. They're proud. They're arrogant. They're self-centered. And yet, Jesus chooses these guys and sends them out and gives them authority. And they do these amazing things for the kingdom of God. Doesn't that give us hope? You know, being all in doesn't mean being perfect. Because there are times when we don't get it right, when we don't understand it properly, when we are prone to fear instead of faith, when we stumble and fall. Being all in doesn't mean being perfect, but it means being willing to be used. And that's what the disciples show here. They say, yes, use me, send me out. I will do what it is that you call me to do. Jesus uses imperfect people who are completely committed to him. Now, there's this amazing verse in 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9. The eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth uh, to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. <laughs> the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Does that describe you? Uh, 2 Corinthians uh, 4, verse uh, seven, we have this treasure, this glory of God, this faith in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. When we give ourselves fully to God, this power which is, God is, which is God's, it belongs to God, operates through us. My family and I spend a lot of time uh, at Nicola Lake in the summers. Have you ever observed the difference between an adult getting into a lake and a child getting into a lake? Now, this lake is, is pretty cold, uh, especially through, well, obviously through the winter and in through the spring. By August, it's tolerable. But when we go up there in June, say, we get down to the water and, and I'll put my toe in the water. I'll get up to my ankles and I'll spend a minute or two there complaining about how cold it is. And then once I'm used to that, I'll move into my knees and spend another few minutes shivering and telling everyone how heroic I am for getting into the water. And then I'll move up to my waist and repeat the process again. And then to my chest. And finally, I'll get myself all the way in. Well, when my kids get down to the water, they throw their stuff down and they run in. They, they give themselves completely to the experience. They're all in. They're all in right away. There's no hesitation. There are times when their teeth are chattering and their noses are turning blue, but they're having such a good time. They're giving themselves completely to the experience. When it comes to faith, I want to be like my kids jumping in the lake. I don't want to try and tiptoe my way in. I want to give myself fully to what God has for me and what God asks of me. 
Now think about people in your life that you admire because of their faith, people who are further along the journey than you. When I think about people who are further than me, I see people who have an intimacy with God that leads them to mission, that leads them to take risks, that leads them to sacrifice, that leads them to look for opportunities to be used by God. That's what I want to be. All in. Because when it comes to faith, there's no room to stand in the middle. Now, before we can leave this passage alone, we need to recognize that there's an uncomfortable truth embedded here. The uncomfortable truth is that when Jesus gives the instructions, he, he anticipates that in some places the disciples are going to have success, but in other places they're going to be rejected. He anticipates that the disciples will be rejected in certain places. You know, his instructions to them there is that they should uh, shake the dust off their feet and leave. That, that's not necessarily instructive for us to say that when someone rejects the gospel, we should leave them alone. Uh, we can persevere and we can have persistence, but we should recognize that some people are going to reject the faith. Every person has a decision to make and the prince of this world blinds people to truth. Some people will reject the gospel we can go even further into the uncomfortable truth and, and see the, the event that happens here between verse 13 and verse 30. Verse 30 is where they report back to Jesus what happened. Well, the story in between is about the beheading of, of John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the one who prepared the way for Jesus. And here he gets his head cut off because of his commitment to do God's will. So not only will disciples of Christ be rejected, they may have to undergo some suffering. Being all in means expecting rejection and expecting that suffering will be a part of the Christian life. It's part of the, the story. It's part of the uncomfortable truth. There are believers around the world who suffer every day because of their commitment to Christ. We're very privileged in our part of the world not to suffer in those kinds of ways. Sure, we're being asked not to meet in person right now. But we're very privileged to live where we are. It might be the case throughout the course of my lifetime that some of the religious freedoms that we have are, are taken away and it gets more difficult to be a Christian in our society. In some ways, I think that's going to be a good thing because pressure will force us to determine where our allegiance actually lies. We can't try to stand in the middle. Rejection and suffering will be a part of the Christian life be part of our experience. Now, it's been interesting to me as our, many of us in our church have been reading through the New Testament this, this fall. It's amazing to me as I've read through the New Testament once again, how many of the letters that we read in the New Testament are written to believers who are undergoing suffering. Sometimes it's the main purpose why a letter is written to a church or a person, to encourage them to persevere. And it's been interesting to me that I have not read even once any of the New Testament authors say, in the midst of your suffering, make sure you complain loud enough to people so people can hear that you're being inconvenienced. Or make sure that you stand up and fight for your personal rights. I don't read that anywhere. Instead, I read, consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. And instead, we read uh, in, in the letter to uh, the letter that Peter writes, 1 Peter. 
He's writing to Christians who were suffering, uh, perhaps under the persecution of Nero. One of the things that Nero did was to take Christians and light them on fire in the night and line the streets so that you could see where you were walking. And Peter writes to them and says, do not be surprised at the fiery trials that you are enduring as if something strange were happening to you. Well, he writes to them to encourage them to persevere through the suffering, to hold fast to Jesus, to keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, to endure it, to walk through it, and to recognize that through suffering, God can make some good things happen. In fact, Jesus often is rejected in Mark, and what he does is he moves on to the next opportunity. In the midst of the rejection, he says, well, what opportunities for ministry are opening themselves up to me right now? I think that's a good question for us today. I've told you before that when I was a teenager, I played some junior hockey. I might have shared this story with you before. There was a playoff game. We were in the finals, a best of seven series. My team, the South Delta Ice Hawks, playing against the Abbotsford Pilots. We're in game three. The series is tied one-to-one, and the game goes into overtime. Now, I was a forward, a left winger, and I was a defensive forward. So my job in our defensive zone was to stay close to their right side defenseman. So if their defenseman is here, I ought to be standing here between my net and him so that he doesn't get a shot away. So if he moves over here, I move over here. If he moves this way, I move this way. Well, in the course of this play, he was standing here and I wandered over here. Maybe I thought I was being helpful or maybe I thought I was going to get a pass and get out of the zone. But as often happens when you are out of position in hockey, the puck goes to where you should be. And the pass came to my point man. And I knew that he was going to get a clear shot on net. I had about three seconds. And this is what happened in those three seconds. First of all, I recognized, shoot, I'm out of position. Uh, I'm in the wrong spot. This is my fault. I should be over there. Secondly, I thought, I don't have time to slide and block this shot like I normally would. Feet first, block it with my shin pads. Third, I I don't have time to swing my stick and get uh, a little bit of my stick on the puck to deflect it or to knock it off his stick. Uh, Third, my only option is to dive headfirst in front of this, and maybe it'll hit me in the helmet, maybe it'll hit me in the shoulder pads if I'm lucky, Uh, or my other option is to do nothing and let him shoot. All of that went through my head really fast, as well as the question, is it worth it? Am I really that committed to the mission that I will throw my face in front of this shot to prevent the goal. And I thought about how my teammates had worked so hard and how my coaches would be so disappointed in me if I, if I let this guy score and how I wanted to be a part of the solution, not the problem. And I dove in front of that, that shot, a slap shot from about four or five feet away. It hit me right in the side of the face, broke my jaw right here and cracked it up here. Christian, if you want to be all in, you will experience rejection and you will experience suffering as a part of the Christian life. But you will experience the beauty and the joy that comes from seeing God work through you, from seeing the Holy Spirit's power on display through your life. There is nothing more satisfying than this. You can be all in or you can be all out, but there's no room to stand in the middle. So where do you stand? What things are you holding on to 
that are keeping you from committing fully to what Jesus invites you to. Because that's the invitation Jesus offers to us to surrender everything at his feet, including our very lives, so that we might be used for a purpose that is bigger than ourselves, that God's love might be demonstrated and that faith might take root in others' lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your call to us is full of love. I thank you that even as you call us to surrender all of ourselves, we know that you surrendered all of yourself so that we might have life. Father, I I speak for myself and I think many who are listening and saying, I want to be all in. Help me to be all in. Help me to, to surrender everything so that I can follow you well. If there are things that are holding us back, Lord, we pray that we be able to break the power of those things in our lives so we might be completely surrendered to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.